electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other when people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You always hear about missing the forest for the trees. But when you're picking stocks, it's just as important not to miss the trees for the forest. See, right now, when you look at the big picture, everything seems darn awful. We've got all these top-down analysts who see the debt ceiling fiasco as potential catastrophe. They see the mini-banking crisis as something that could be a true financial storm, one that didn't exist a few months ago but snuck up on us. And now we don't know when it'll end. That's what all the bears keep telling me. From a big picture perspective, there's only one question. Why the heck aren't we going down? Why hasn't the market cratered? Even on a not-so-hot day like today, the Dow only dipped 56 points. S&P finished up 0.05%. NASDAQ inched up 0.18%, even though the talk shows this weekend were filled with gloom and doom. See, we just can't figure out how the heck this market keeps hanging in there. With all this obviously troubling news that you and I know is what people talk about when the stock market comes up in conversation. So here's what I did. I decided to make it clinical. This weekend, I went over the charts to figure out every chart, to figure out what the strategist might be missing. And sure enough, I figured out why everybody's so darn confused. The winning groups do indeed make no sense. They aren't supposed to be up all at once. They're like oil and water, square peg round hole, that type of thing. When you've got mismatched leadership, it's hard to make easy generalizations, which is what makes this situation so darn perplexing. But don't worry, we're going to straighten it all out. When you look at what's working, it is certainly a conundrum. First, industrials can seem to do no wrong. Take one look. It's Eaton, one of the best performers. Air Products, Honeywell, Deer, Johnson Controls, Cummins, Rockwell Automation, General Electric, Parker, Hanovan. These just jump out at you as stocks that can't be stopped. How the heck can the industrials be such terrific leaders after the Fed's raised rates by 500 basis points in just 14 months? It's simple. For most, for the most part, these companies are involved in aerospace, or decarbonization, or both. While aerospace is a cyclical industry, it's levered to the aerospace cycle, not the typical business cycle. When aerospace catches fire, it can keep burning for years and years. This current up cycle may turn out to be the longest one in the history of the industry because there's just so much pent-up demand. Remember, there are only two large-scale commercial aircraft manufacturers. Boeing and Airbus, both of which have far more orders than they can handle, even though Boeing's had so many problems. I expect to hear about a huge Boeing order soon from Ryanair, which have been critical of Boeing's deliveries right on our air. But where where else are they going to go? I mean, when Airbus has an even longer wait? If you're a supplier to Boeing or Airbus like General Electric, your charts, wow. I mean, they're just... It's nothing but orders, which means 52-week highs for all. 
Then there's Cummins, run by Jen Rumsey, who was on our air not that long ago, who's taking her engine company out of the dark ages of diesel into the bright future of the hydrogen economy. Okay, I know there's nothing available right now, but Cummins is working on hydrogen powered vehicles and producing electrolyzers, the big ticket pieces of equipment that actually make hydrogen. Kramer Fave Lindy, we own that for the Charitable Trust, just selected Cummins to supply an electrolyzer for one of the new hydrogen plants. That's not what we normally expect from an old school engine company. But in a world where there are tons of mutual funds that need green industrials, I think Cummins is among the best, possibly only rivaled by Eaton. Boy, I wish they'd come on air. They've got this power management solutions business that can reduce your carbon footprint. And it's extraordinary. And talk about being caught up in charging of electric vehicles. I mean, that, that, that's Eaton. I think the long-term stories of aerospace, clean power, and power management confuse the heck out of the top-down strategists because they keep, keep working regardless of what the Fed's doing. But the industrials, the industrials are supposed to be falling here. But you can't pigeonhole the industrials anymore as you would have in a pre-decarbonization era. By the way, whoever knew what the decarbonization term meant just five, ten years ago. Now, the second most confusing segment, and this one's really got people confused, is housing. Lennar, Pulte, KB. I could have put Toll Brothers up here, too. Uh, it, it, frank, frankly, D.R. Horton, I could have put up. Any one of those. D.R. Horton's also I should have put up. These are the, some of the strongest charts in the book. Historically, these stocks should be at their 52-week lows, not highs. I felt like I was looking at the chart book upside down because when the Fed raises rates aggressively, these stocks are supposed to get hammered. So what gives? It's simple. There's a tremendous housing shortage in this country. People are fleeing the cities, bolting from the Northeast, heading to the Southeast at unprecedented numbers, upended by tax considerations that we never thought about before. Meanwhile, the days when housing developments can just appear are long gone. Zoning, planning, density, these are all impediments that have no quick fix. The Wall Street Journal suggests that there may be a shortage of between 2 and 7 million homes. I know that's a wide variation. But it does mean that there's many years of earnings growth ahead for companies that used to be cyclical. Again, that's not supposed to be what happens. Short-term rates have skyrocketed. But guess what? Here's an oddity. Long-term rates, okay, they are coming down because everybody's afraid of recession. And that makes mortgages cheaper because mortgages are, are they're priced off the 10- or 20-year mortgage. That, uh, 20, 20 year the long bond. So suddenly, we've got this weird anomaly where the Fed's raising rates and the mortgage rates are coming down. Plus, the homebuilders raised price by a gigantic amount, roughly 25% on average in the last two years, in part because of supply chain woes that have already been solved. They're not passing those savings on to the customers, though, because demand is so strong they don't need to. So we've got many industrials. We've got the homebuilders. These are leadership groups you typically see during an economic expansion, not leading up to a possible recession, like the longer-term bonds are saying must happen. But then you look at the other leaders, and they don't fit the bill either. I mean, healthcare. Okay, healthcare is running. That's those are classic slowdown stocks. They shouldn't be running at the same time as the industrials and the housing stocks. The drug names are in Fuego, led by Eli Lilly, Novo Nordisk, Merck, and Vertex, which are all enjoying new product cycles. Lilly and Novo Nordisk have diabetes drugs that could be revolutionary weight loss treatments. They would be going up under a strong or weak economy, so they're not so anomalous versus the industrials. And then there's the emerging. T- turn in medical devices, including Abbott Labs, Intuitive Surgical, Medtronic, Edwards Life Sciences, ResMed, which we had on the show last week, Stryker, which we have on later tonight. Why medical devices? Because so many people deferred non-urgent surgeries during the pandemic that demand has now come back with a vengeance. Post-COVID stocks, not economic cycle stocks. Then, of course, there's another... 
Another one that's just so hard to understand. The travel, leisure, and entertainment stocks. I mean, this group should be just being crushed by higher rates. Nope, they're on fire. Again, because of pent-up demand. You see big gains in Darden. That's the parent company of Olive Group, Chipotle, Cheesecake Factory, not to mention Delta, American Airlines, Royal Caribbean, Marriott. The top-down strategists know in their bones that these stocks should be flat on their backs right now. Instead, they keep roaring because we're in a weird post-pandemic moment where everybody feels long on money and short on time. So these stocks, which would every one of these would be crushed, if we're about to go in a recession, instead are just like American Airlines, just starting to turn up. Just like Chipotle just reported good. Royal Caribbean finally caught fire just last week. Another good day today. But then the consumer packaged good stocks are flying too. That's a conundrum, which is what, what you think should be happening when we're going to recession, but not against the, what we had before. A right, Campbell's Soup, General Mills. PepsiCo, Procter & Gamble, Colgate, ConAgra, they all look great right now. Of course, you have to wonder how much of their strength comes from the earnings boost they get as their costs come down while their prices stay the same. Yes, they boosted prices when commodity stocks went up, but they aren't cutting prices with commodities coming down. And that's a huge part of their surge. Finally, there's tech, which is confusing everyone. Um, it's actually big cap tech, really. NVIDIA. Meta Platforms, Microsoft, and Apple, averaging Broadcom analog devices, Alphabet, and Amazon. How is this possible after 500 basis points of rate hikes? Technology always gets crushed here. These are usually the first to fold. But now they've got some special things going for them, and they've got things like artificial intelligence. Now, no, nothing the Fed does will stop the growth of AI for NVIDIA, for Microsoft, for Alphabet. No way. Not when we have Meta. Meta is deep in the AI world. That's a lot of what's going on with Instagram, why they're doing so well. These, these companies could, these, you could double interest rates. I'm not sure some of these companies would stop. Individually, you can make the case for any of these groups. But collectively, the mosaic doesn't seem to make any sense, right? Industrials pair with healthcare, packaged goods with housing, travel and leisure with big pharma. It's insanity for a top-down strategist. But it all makes perfect sense if you're focused on individual stock picking, which is what our show's about. Bottom line, you just heard why I think the vast bulk of bear strategists will be wrong this year. They refuse to get into the weeds of individual companies where everything counts. They're stuck at the top looking down, but the answers can only be found at the bottom looking up. Because that's the only way anything in this market makes sense. Let's go to Jerry in New Jersey. Jerry. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jim. Of course. Of course, Jerry. I want sure. you to know I'm a loyal fan. I love your show. I can't thank you enough for the ongoing insight you provide investors. So oh, here's my thank qu- you. Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate that. My, my pleasure. Here's my question. Over the past 12 months, Newell Brands has fallen 50% in value, yet management has succeeded in maintaining the dividend. My question is twofold. First, in your opinion, do you think the dividend is, is sustainable? Secondly, do you think this stock is a buy, hold, or sell? Candidate? Okay, uh, it's a great question. A stock's down 22% of the year. I do question the dividend. I question the cash flow. I look at Ollie's, by the way. I'm a member of Ollie's Army. Boy, there isn't a week where Newell stuff is not for sale. Really, really for sale. Uh, I, I, I'm very concerned about Newell. Let's put it that way. I'm very concerned about it. Uh, I just don't know if they have the staying power to stay to keep that dividend. 
Right now, there's an unconventional group of industries that are working to keep the market afloat. And it's a recipe for success for all the stock pickers out there, even as it confuse, confuses and confounds the top-down strategists. Well, may everybody tonight, how should investors interpret the post-earning volatility of stocks like medical technology company Stryker? I'm checking in with the CEO. Then last year, we ran through the professional sports stocks. You loved it. The ones you can own a piece of, of course. So we're revisiting the names we like to see if any of them could continue to hit it out of the park. And is it time to turn to a steady eddy utility like Exelon amid economic uncertainty? I'm getting the latest from the company's top brands. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or Give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. One of the biggest takeaways from this earnings season is that the medical device industry is back and back in a big way, as I said at the top of the show. At this point, we've heard tremendous things from a host of medical technology companies, all of which say that people are finally coming back to the hospital for elective procedures and droves. Consider the case of Stryker, which makes orthopedic implants, especially knee and hip replacements, along with surgical equipment, neurotechnology for head and spine injuries. Last Monday night, Stryker reported one of the best quarters of this hot entire season, much better than expected earnings worth. 13 percent organic growth. Bolster is only looking for nine. That is unbelievable. Even better management raised their full year forecast substantially. While the stock's now pulled back a bit uh, from the quarter, it's still up 18 percent year to date. I bet it can keep climbing. Don't take it from me, though. Let's take him to Kevin Loeb. He's the chairman and CEO of Striker Corporation. Get a better read on the quarter. Hey, Kevin, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Well, this is very exciting because you use a term, and we want to be sure we don't jinx you, that you think it's a super cycle for medical devices and for what you sell. And I wish you'd just talk to us about it because it is rather incredible. Yeah, look, we had a fantastic quarter. We had 13% organic growth in fourth quarter, another 13% organic growth in the first quarter. Procedures are coming back. 
patients who are sitting at home are now ready to get their knees and their hips replaced, their shoulder. But the SuperCycle really is an innovation at Stryker, okay, where we have a new power tool coming out, a new camera, a new defibrillator at the end of the year. We have a new hip stem that's being used for a less invasive right. approach. Hold on, people are going to say new camera, and they're going to say, what is that about? Talk about what the camera does, because it's incredible. It is really incredible. So the cameras we use are for laparoscopic surgery, so the surgeons can right. see inside the body to do keyhole surgery. But now we light up the anatomy. So we use ICG, a contrast dye that the patient right. ingests prior to surgery, and then it lights up so the surgeon can see exactly where the anatomy is. This new camera we're launching at the end of the second quarter, it's called 1788, will be able to light up new fluorophores that are just being approved right now to identify lung cancer, bladder cancer, and so the surgeons are sure they're taking out all of the cancer. See, that's why I thought, for instance, J&J announced this blood cancer, they did something in the bladder. And I realized, well, you can't do anything with it without your stuff. Yeah. You can't just insert it. You can't use a hypodermic needle for bladder cancer. No, you can't. And so this, the, the camera is fantastic. Be able, yeah. to, to be able to see exactly what the surgeon's doing, safer surgery, and making sure you're getting all of the cancer. So this is really a, a terrific innovation. Fluorescence imaging is the term that we use for it. All right, now how about your speed drills for neurovascular? Well, we use drills for neurosurgery. Neurosurgery. Right, I which, mean, th and the drills enable the surgeon to get into the brain. Okay, so just tell me about that, because to me, they used to really make a big chunk. You, no, no, these are very, these are small. No, I'm saying now, you've, yeah, changed, now you've changed the game. Before, there were craniotomies where you'd open up the entire skull. Right. Now you can go in very minimally invasively, and you can remove tumors. We have an ultrasonic um, device that actually cuts and then pulls out the tumors from the brain. Okay, so now talk to me about Fosara, because we don't want to confuse your, your telemedicine with talking to a doctor. This is something more important in terms of the way that people in the hospital get around and tell things. This is a fascinating thing that you've got. Yeah, this was an amazing deal that we did uh, pretty recently, about a $3 billion acquisition, kind of a tech company. Right. So what this does is automates workflow in the hospital, so that all t t today they're all writing down notes, looking up phone numbers for doctors. Now they just speak into a badge. Nurses absolutely love this. If you think about Salesforce.com, what that's done for companies, right. this is that equivalent of automating workflow in hospitals for I, nurses, sorry. for physicians. I also uh, very you didn't exciting. bring it out in your, in, your, uh, in your materials, but I also thought that'd be a great way to, to fight these lawsuits. You know, there's so many lawsuits, it, it malpractice, and you keep the cost down, be great. Well, this will prevent errors. Let's say right. when you're giving somebody uh, fentanyl, for example, it, you'll actually log it into the system. So the next right. time someone comes, they're not looking at a flip chart. It's actually in the system, automated. They'll make sure that they don't give an right. extra dose because they'll see what's been done. So it does reduce right. errors, the potential, facilitates their workflow, makes things easier. And, and even like for a nurse, it even has a panic button. So patients sometimes get unruly, as you've yeah. seen on airplanes and, and even in hospitals. So nurses love that they can press a panic button, have a silent alarm. Everybody can come to their attention. I think this is incredible. I mean, may we hope never have to see these things, but if we see them, never. okay. So I meant I announced that you were coming on, and my friend, old old friend from when I was a little boy, uh, Jeff Sonnenfeld says, "Well, why are they still in Russia? Tell them that they shouldn't be in Russia." Now, I always waffle this because I don't want the, I, we have no fight with the Russian people. We yeah. have fight with the Russian government. At the same time, you probably want to make a statement that, that you, know, you want to be humanitarian. You, uh, it's such a small amount of your business. Why stay? It's a tiny amount of our business. It ha historically hasn't been a big part of our business. Uh -huh. But we've chosen not to exit, just as all of our peers in the industry have chosen. We're a healthcare company. It's humanitarian. There are people that need these products that are life-saving. And so it's, if, if we were a hamburger company or something like that's more elective, of course we would pull out. Yeah, I mean, but I we've think chosen to stay in, and that's just been 
it really has nothing to do with our financials. It's, it's right. absolutely immaterial to our results. No, it's a very hard issue. But it's just issue. what we, yeah. And we right, it's a hard issue because when I listen to the things that you do, I, I don't want the people of Russia to hate us. Well, I want the government to pull out of Ukraine, but that's not the people don't want to be in Ukraine for every sec. No, for okay. sure. And, you know, the other things we've done is we've also sent a lot of trauma kits to Poland and, and neighboring countries to help okay. with the refugees that are coming out. So we, we definitely do a lot of humanitarian and we just feel it's the right thing to do. And again, right. we're aligned as an industry that this is something our industry stands behind. So it's not like we are standing alone. Now, talk to me about uh, Mako, because I remember when you bought, I mean, look, I remember when you bought Right Metal. I remember all your acquisitions because they're so, so you're just a great acquirer of things. But Mako, I think, is revolutionary. Oh, look, it's been a fantastic acquisition. We're going to celebrate our 10-year anniversary of the deal in December of this year. But what's amazing, Jim, is in the United States, more than half of the knees that are being replaced, striker knees, are being done with Mako. About a third of the hips are being done with Mako. And by the end of next year, we'll launch a shoulder application as well as a spine application. Yeah, so tell me about the shoulder, because that seemed to be the, the most intractable of all joints. How do you have anything there? Yeah, we're excited about what Mako's going to be able to do, because it's the hardest of the procedures. By to far, do. by it's far. A very, very difficult procedure. It's very narrow quarters. The robot is going to help and enable that procedure to be done much more consistently, much more predictably, and even, if you, even if you only do 20 or 30 shoulders a year. The same safeguards that we have to help surgeons with knee replacement are going to be used for shoulder replacement. I'm very yeah. excited about that. Uh, the last question I want people to understand is, is that it, I, while it may be a super cycle, you guys are first in almost everything that I can tell. Is there anything that you're not number one in that you compete in? Look, we've become category leaders across all of our portfolio. Right. Now, that wasn't the case when I became CEO about no, 10 years ago. No, not at all. And, and as you rightly say, acquisitions has been a key enabler. So for shoulder replacement, we're number one now through the right, right. medical acquisition. Well, and, look, I, you know, my friends who, unfortunately, all my friends know Stryker because we reached an age where everything's deteriorating. And without you, I don't know what life would be like. Well, listen, we either uh, you are a c customer of Stryker or you're going to be a future customer of Stryker. <laughs> True. <laughs> all right. That's Kevin Limo, chair and CEO of Stryker, which is a company I have liked for so long. And I'm so glad that you're finally on this show. Well, thank you, Jim. All right. Yeah, money back after the break. Coming up, Kramer has a sports report. Find out how home gamers might cash in off the field. Next. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching 
Learning Engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We had a nice little sports Sunday yesterday where we got a fantastic Sixers-Celtics playoff game in overtime where James Harden scored a late three-pointer that let the Sixers tie the series at two games apiece. Along with the second running of the Miami Grand Prix, which is a Formula One event that started last year. It got me thinking about the professional sports stocks. I'm always searching for ways to keep you engaged with the market. And some of these publicly traded leagues or even teams can help make things interesting. It doesn't hurt that their stocks have been pretty, well, they've done pretty darn well. A little over a year ago, we ran a segment on our favorite pro sports place. And on average, they crushed the major indices. So I'm going to walk you through them to show you where we are, because some of these are absolutely still worth owning. Well, first, there's Madison Square Garden Sports, and that's the corporate owner of the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers. Uh, Even when they aren't playing well, these are two of the most financially valuable franchises in any sport because the New York media market is so lucrative. Based on the underlying value of these two teams, I told you Madison Square Garden Sports was ridiculously undervalued. I just didn't know if management would be able to unlock that value. Still, the Knicks and the Rangers should be worth nearly $8 billion. And they've got some smaller assets, yet MSG Sports had an enterprise value below $5 billion. That was way too cheap. It made no sense to me. Sure enough, in the last 13 months, the stocks rallied nearly 15% during a period where the S&P 500 is down 9%. That said, you got a better, much better opportunity if you waited to buy MSG Sports until the market-wide bottom uh, last fall. It's up roughly 50% from those levels. Yet even up here, the stock trades at about $2 billion discount to the value of the underlying teams. What's behind that run? Is it because the Knicks and the Rangers had relatively good seasons? It's still going on there. Uh, with both teams making the playoffs and the Knicks still alive in the Eastern Conference semifinals, I'm mean, playing the Miami Heat tonight. Well, it definitely doesn't hurt. But MSG Sports also got a boost from Wall Street's recognition that the value of major sports franchises just keep climbing. Last summer, the Denver Broncos were sold for $4.65 billion, the record price for any North American sports franchise. Then the Phoenix Suns were sold in December for $4 billion, the most anyone's ever paid for a basketball team. Now the NFL's Washington Commanders apparently have a deal in place to be sold for just over $6 billion. That was set another record. So I think MSG Sports can continue to move higher. Although if management fails to unlock value here, there's not much the shareholders can do about it thanks to its ownership structure. Hey, speaking of value, 13 months ago I told you to watch Manchester United, the British soccer club, because one of the rivals, Chelsea Football Club, looked uh, look like it was going to get sold for big premium. That happened just a couple of months later, and while Manchester United stock didn't see a big pop in time, well, at the time, it's been roaring since last November because management said they're exploring strategic options, including an outright sale. Lately, though, it's looking less, like a, less likely that the key owners, the Glazer family, will actually sell, with one bidder calling the whole process a farce. While the stock's run up from $13 last April to just under 19 today, it's been pulling back hard from its highs. But it's not too late to ring the register because the key catalyst, gone. 
Now let's talk about one I wholeheartedly endorsed in April of last year, starting with the Atlanta Braves, which you can own via Liberty Media's Braves Group. Now, it's a tracking stock. I typically don't like those, but let's play it out here. That's Batra. It's a ticker that sounds like an obscure um, cybermetrics acronym or something. The Braves belong to Liberty Media, which has an infamously complex corporate structure. But the Batra tracking stock lets you play the Braves and the real estate surrounding the stadium. Last year, I told you I liked it, but I also recommend and waiting for a pullback. Sure enough, the stock fell from $29 last April to 25 last June. Since then, though, it's caught fire, climbing all the way to $39 and change today. It's now up more than 35% since my initial recommendation. Again, the S&P was down 9% over the same period. Batra caught fire because the, late last year, Liberty Media announced its plans to fully spin off the Braves, creating a truly independent company called Atlanta Braves Holdings. This spinoff should be finished by the end of the current quarter. So going forward, this tracking stock will turn into a real stock and you'll directly own shares in the best team, the be, in, the, in the team that still has the best record in the National League. I hate them. They're always winning. It drives me crazy. Uh, Now, you don't have the noise of Liberty Media's Byzantine corporate structure anymore either. Finally, there's one that I think has caught most people's attention. This is one of the reasons why I really want to do this piece, which is Formula One. It's another Liberty Media-owned business with a tracking stock. This one's Liberty Formula One Group. People call it Fwonk. While this one's only rallied about 5% since I recommended 13 months ago, it's a little surprising. I thought it'd be up more. It's because I think we came in near a relative peak last spring. And even then, don't forget, it still trounced the S&P, which is down 9% the same period. Like I've said before, I'm very bullish on Formula One, uh, the sport, a truly global phenomenon that's actually started to outrate NASCAR here in the U.S. Doesn't hurt that they've been bent over backwards to make the races more competitive, even if the Red Bull team seems like it's a dominant team this year, doesn't it? Liberty Media reported uh, earnings just Friday uh, and, and just before the Miami Grand Prix got rolling. And we heard some tremendous stuff about Formula One. Excellent ratings and attendance numbers, multiple new TV distribution deals, including many new partnerships. And that's why Liberty Formula One jumped four percent on Friday. But the big news is this year is the debut of third, a third Formula One race in the United States. And a lot of my friends are talking about this. It's the Las Vegas Grand Prix coming in November, a rare night race down the Vegas Strip. They made a huge $500 million bet on this as part of the plans to keep expanding here in America. CEO Greg Maffei, I've known for years, and he's such a good business person, sees this as a potentially iconic race that could draw in a ton of new sponsors, and I'm inclined to trust him given his incredible track record. Liberty Media's investment in Formula One has been a huge win, and any investors who came along for the ride in the tracking stock have made a killing long term. In the end, all the pro sports stocks that I highlighted in April of last year have gone up to despite the overall market being down, which I think is evidence of a broader bull market here. As these teams or entire leagues keep getting more valuable, the bottom line, I still think Madison Square Garden, okay, uh, is too cheap given what the Knicks and the Rangers should be worth, although I have no idea if management can continue unlocking that They've got to unlock the value here in the future. I feel a lot more confident of Liberty Braves once it gains its independence from Liberty Media, in part because the Atlanta Braves are generally a great long-term team, and they always seem to win. Then last but not least, let's stick with Formula One as the best investment, because I see it grinding higher over time as interest in sports grow, in that sport grows, especially with this nighttime race in Las Vegas coming this November. Let's go to Jacob in Ohio. Jacob. Jim, booyah! Columbus, booyah, Ohio, Jacob. 08. Uh, how you doing? 
Uh, I want to know a little bit more about Take Two and why it hasn't taken the entire market over. Right? We already have seen Grand Theft Auto Five, Grand Theft Auto Six on the horizon, Unreal Engine Five, the rise of VR, the metaverse, everything. They're better positioned than Meta could ever be. Is there anything Zuckerberg dreams he could be? Why are we not putting every dollar into Take Two? Well, I tell you, you made a very compelling case. Now, I tell you, Strauss Zelnick was on air telling us that he didn't think the last quarter was good. So we got to, rem- you know, we got to take that into account. But I agree with you. I think that the, the what I would call we use this word too often in our business, but it's about to inflect. There's a lot of good things coming, and I think at 125, I would be buying Take Two very aggressively. Let's go to Patrick in Arkansas, Patrick. Hey, Mr. Jim, how's it going? Oh, well, Patrick, how about you? I'm doing good, man. It's another Monday. <laughs> True. But, yeah, I was calling because I had a question about uh, Light and Wonder, the stock ticker L&W. And they got earnings coming up tomorrow, and I've owned it since 2020 of the COVID drop. And I was just wondering what your opinion was on it. Well, I'll tell you, this is one of those. Let me just make, let's use this as a teaching lesson. They're about, to, they're about to report tomorrow. And one of the things I don't do is when it, we're right close to the earnings and I don't know what they're going to be, I used to try to guess what they're going to do. I no longer do that. We're going to have to wait to see what Light and Wonder does. But I thank you for that. And it's a good thing to remember that you don't know and, and you could just as easily blow up. And I don't want to do that. All right. The outperformance from these pro stock, sports stocks suggests there's a bigger bull market at play. I'm sticking with Formula One FWAG to be the best investment out of the bunch. Much more mad money and pretty much with Exxon. That may actually be your utility. After reporting best on record reliability, I'm finding out if this could be a competitive advantage for the utility with the company's top brass. Then, why do so many people get this stock of Apple wrong? I'll reveal what I believe is the main reason this name has become so hard for Wall Street to embrace. And the lawyer calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lighting round. So stay with Kramer. about a recession or even just an extended period of slower growth like so many others, then you can do a lot worse than owning a nice, consistent business like utility. Take Exelon. This is the nation's largest energy supplier, serving more than 10 million customers in several major cities, including Chicago, Washington, D.C., and Philadelphia. Last Wednesday, these guys reported a substantially better than expected quarter, although the stock didn't do much because management left their full-year forecast unchanged. Still, it was a very strong start to the year, and that's what matters. So let's take a closer look with Calvin Butler. He's the president of Exelon. Find out more about what he sees going forward. Mr. Butler, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, thank you for having me. and Good to see you. Good to see you. Okay, so let's get thank the tenor of things. We hear a lot of people saying, well, commercial real estate's in trouble. The big cities are in trouble. People have left the cities. You've got a better read than anybody. Is any of that stuff true? I think, I think it is. It's a combination of all of those things that are impacting the market, and our customers are feeling it on a day-to-day basis in their pocketbooks. But as a utility, like you said, we're there to add value to our customers and ensure that we help manage during this volatile period. Well, how is it possible that the rates in your cities are 23% below the average of the rates in other cities? Yeah, great question. We take a very, we make a very conscious effort to keep our prices low. We manage our O&M costs. We do prudent investments in our capital, but because what we know, at the beginning is that our customers expect reliability and resiliency. 
And so when we're investing in that infrastructure, it's incumbent upon us to manage the costs in doing so. So when you look across the Exelon platform, that is something that we do each and every day from a supply our supply chain, from our invest investments in the communities, all of those things go into keeping those costs low, Jim. Okay, so what happens when you get the word from, say, Atlantic City Electric? They want to be able to do a, a, something that's really great for metering. Or then you get a climate-ready pathway. I mean, these are things that they're not up to you necessarily. They cost a lot of money, and yet you were responsible for doing them. No, you're absolutely right. So the process here for us is we believe in a very collaborative stakeholder engagement plan, meaning that, to your point, regulators and legislators want a lot. But we have to be very clear with them. We're willing to help you get there. But here's the costs that are associated with making that transition. So to your direct example, Atlantic City Electric was our last utility in our fleet to put smart meters on the system. But there's an advantage in investing in that level of technology. We know for a fact through smart meters, we will reduce truck rolls by over 560,000 in over the course of a, of a span of a year. And that is real dollars coming back to our customers of avoided expenses. So that's where technology investments really come into play. Now, are you getting any money from the uh, IRA, from the Infl Inflation Reduction Act, to be able to help you in these things? Well, it's, it's not so much helping us. It's really partnering with our customers. So the IIJA and IRA are going to be key pillars in really keeping rates affordable for our customers. They're historic pieces of legislation. What it provides for utility companies like Exelon is the opportunity to partner with our jurisdictions. Let me give you an example. Sure. Philadelphia guy, right? Yep. So in Philadelphia alone, we're partnering about how can we bring hydrogen hubs into the city of Philadelphia where we have matching funds that we can go after because of IIJA to reduce the cost of the overall implementation around reliability, grid resiliency, all the things to fight climate change, that's where the IIJA and the IRA are going to be very powerful. Now, who do you bring in to do reliability? I, would that be your core competence or are there companies that, that we should all know that are helping? It is definitely our core competency. We have many contractors of choice, but when you look at the 19,000, half of those men and women are our line men and women each and every day out in the field. That's their job every day to keep the lights on and the gas flowing. So those are the men and women that are keeping that reliability operating in the top quartile, and in our case of ComEd, operating in the top decile on reliability. So that's their job, and they take it very serious, and they're proud of the work that they do. All right, let's go back to the commercial uh, real estate issue. We keep hearing that, that because of work from home, uh, that people that you no longer need as many uh, uh, buildings in each city. Now, I know that's the case in New York. Is that the case in Chicago and Philadelphia? No, we need the number of employees, but we may not need the square footage, to your point, of all the office space. And we've done a very good job, and we will continue to do a focus around consolidating our real estate. What exactly is that need? And we do have a hybrid work environment for our employees, all of our men and women. So, but what we are very focused on, we believe the interaction between our teams, the culture of delivering re uh, reliable electricity and gas is key. So we do encourage them to come into the office on a regular basis and that engagement we can't get away from because we're in a service business 
And we frame that with our employees that the collaboration is critical to sustain success. Well, do you see in cities like Chicago and Philadelphia the actual electric power go, use go down on Fridays? <laughs> no, not at all. I think what we may see, though, is a shift from that commercial industrial mix, the office space to the residential. Oh. Like we saw that during the pandemic where the commercial usage may have gone down, but the residential usage went up as people were working from home, educating their children from home, all of those things come into play. And what we found here more importantly is that the need for reliability is even more critical. As you are charging your car at your home, as you are working from home or educating your kids from home, no longer is it acceptable that you're out 24 to 48 hours. You want real-time communication from your home utility, and that's what we're striving to provide. Well, next time you got to come back, we got to talk about charging, because I think that that's going to be increasingly what people's on, on people's minds. I'm worried about reliability, and you obviously provide that. That's Calvin Butler. He's the president and CEO of Exelon, which is a lot of different utilities. It's not just ComEd. It's Philly, but it's Delmarva. It's Baltimore. It's just all over the place, because it's got 10 million people. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up. What's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Bet to my rap calls. One of those same. I took a bye bye bye. Bill Twinkler. Another call. So I'm gonna be able to play the sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Come to the lightning round, crazy button. Start with George in California. George. Jim. Yeah, George. Brooklyn originally, go Giants. On Accolade, should I be adding to the software? No, no. Accolade's another one of these companies that got to pivot, that got to make money. Look what happened to Palantir when they pivoted and started making money. Stocks up huge in the after hours. Let's go to Greg in New York. Greg. Yeah, hi, Jim. Uh, this is Greg, uh, big fan of your show. Thank you for oh, taking my call. Thank you. What's uh, up? Yes, my question is about APA. I have some position in the stock. Oh, I looked I'm, at APA uh, this week. I mean, it's almost all natural gas. If you want to be natural gas, you have to own Cotera, which we own for the Chapel Trust, CTRA. Better dividend, and they also have a lot of oil. you got to have both. You can't just have one. Let's go to John in New York. John. Yeah, Mr. Cramaria, booyah. Booyah, John, what's uh, going on? I just want to ask, Tellium Capital, that would like to take over Getty. Yeah, uh, I'm not so sure. Happen, I'm going to quote my friend David Faber, who said, listen, I don't know anything about Trillium. I do know this, though. I have liked Getty Images in the mid-single digits because I think it's a real company. I think it's going to make money next year. I think that's actually a SPAC that could work. Like, like Driftcase. Let's go to Chad in Indiana. Chad. Jim, it's an honor to speak with you, sir. Uh, thank you, Chad. Thank yeah. you. I'm curious. I bought something last week at 51 and change, and now it's at 47 going the wrong direction. Did I make a mistake with Charles Schwab? All right, Charles Schwab is being pushed down pretty aggressively. There are a lot of people who feel that this part, the part of their company that is a bank can sink the gigantic company that is the stock, the stock and bond uh, company that everybody knows. And uh, I don't want to own the stock because I don't recommend any regionals. I'm not recommending any stock that's caught up in this big morass. But I do think it's a great company. Let's leave it like that. I'd like to go to Eric in Virginia. Eric. Booyah, Jim. First time, long time. Oh, excellent. Thank you for coming on. What's going on? I want to ask you about Anovix, ENVX. Uh, it's been up 50% since okay. February. 
you know, this is going to be lithium ion. And the only lithium ion that I like right now is Albemarle ALB that's finally come down enough to buy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer on Apple's appetizing upside. Next. Why is it that Apple stock is constantly underestimated? Every year, quarter after quarter, so many otherwise intelligent people bet against the largest company in the world. And more often than not, well, they get it dead wrong, just like last week. Why? Because the people who cover Apple are tech analysts, not consumer product analysts. They see that Apple's headed for its third quarter of year-over-year sales shrinkage, and they think that's unforgivable in tech world. They want a fancy new product that's big enough to move the needle every year. They don't care about any of the ancillary businesses, Macs, watches, iPads, even the service revenue stream. But that's because they fundamentally misunderstand what Apple is. So what is it? This weekend, Becky Quick asked Berkshire Hathaway lead director Sue Decker if it's a consumer product company. She said, definitely, it is. That matters. I used to talk to Sue every day when she was a media and technology analyst at Junk, Donaldson, Lufkin, and Genrat, DLJ, a storied firm with amazing research. Brilliant. One of the best people in the, in the whole business. So when she says it's a consumer products company, you need to take her seriously, even if you are like me, as I think it's the best technology in the world. I love to make this point about the consumer side of Apple because Apple stock trades 29 times earnings, which is absurd for a tech stock with declining sales, but it's perfectly reasonable for the stock consumer packaged goods company. Clorox sells for 37 times earnings, Colgate 26, Coca-Cola 25, Procter 27. Apple's a little more expensive side, but don't forget, they have the highest level of customer customer satisfaction in the world. Much better brand than Clorox, yet the stock's cheaper than Clorox. Quizzical. This satisfaction level matters tremendously because Apple's slowly but surely developing other streams of revenue that could be meaningful. I mean very meaningful to its valuation. First, this year it'll have about more than $80 billion in service revenue, which is extremely high gross margins. Some of that depends on advertising. Most are just adjuncts, like the money you need to store your pictures in the cloud. Increasingly, though, Apple's developed a core entertainment product and a financial services portal. I asked CEO Tim Cook whether that Apple Pay wallet will start to take on other products. Apple's notoriously closed mouth about what's next. I think many people like to buy stocks on their phone, even especially after they read the prices on the Apple Finance app. It's pretty much of a simple extension, but a valuable one because it can be done by the month. Sometimes I wish they would buy Robinhood. Other times I wish they would just destroy Robinhood, cheaper or better. Now, while many experts get this stock wrong, some people get it very right. This weekend, Apple got an endorsement from Warren Buffett that was unlike anything I've ever heard from anyone, or certainly him. Take a listen. Apple, you know, has a position with consumers where they're paying, you know, maybe they pay 1500 bucks or whatever it may be for a phone, and these same people pay $35,000 for having a second car. And if they had to give up a second car or give up their iPhone, they'd give up their second car. I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary problem. He owns about 6% of the company and wishes he'd never sold any. Uh, listen to this. I made a mistake a couple of years ago, and I sold something, he said wistfully. It was a dumb decision. And by the way, kudos to the man. He always admits when he's wrong. What a treasure of God said he is. With Apple's bountiful buyback, Buffett just keeps, he gets to become a bigger and bigger shareholder, as he's done with Coca-Cola, Chevron, and American Express. Of course, none of this would matter if Apple were tapped out, if its prices were high, and if there weren't enough people left to buy one. Or to put it bluntly, if everybody who lives in China already has one. 
Makes sense when you remember that they have about 2 billion active users. But Tim Cook's one step out of the posse. He's been moving aggressively into Mexico, Indonesia, Philippines, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Brazil, Malaysia, and India, which add up to uh, 2.2 billion, 2 billion potential customers. Plus, we know that Facebook has almost 3 billion users. It's reasonable that Apple could equal that number, taking share from Android that could be easy pickings. Only when you have more than 2 billion users with a 99% customer satisfaction rate, you can easily get those people to stick with your products. As you roll out new services, your existing customers are much more likely to buy them, and the cost of acquiring new customers is ridiculously low. A user of Apple is a lifetime user of Apple with the greatest value a marketer could ever want, something no other tech company or consumer packaged goods clinic company can claim. And that's why Apple can still have more upside, even though it looks expensive for a seemingly no-growth tech stock. I wish I knew what the lifetime value of a user really is, because I bet it's worth a lot more than the current share price. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you that it's just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.